This episode is brought to you by the Inspire Collection by Kalia. You shouldn't settle for just any old pair of leggings. You deserve something better, something designed with you in mind, like the new Inspire Leggings by Kalia, their most versatile collection yet, made for any workout. They're lightweight, buttery soft, breathable, and made with lycra adaptive fiber, which molds to your body for a barely there supportive fit. It's perfect for wherever your wellness routine takes you. Shop the Inspire Collection by Kalia now, exclusively at Dick's Sporting Goods. Hello and welcome to the BBC Gardener's World magazine podcast, brought to you by the team here at the magazine. Join us as we chat all things gardening with the nation's favourite experts. Are you concerned by climate change, but wondering how to make a genuine difference? Do you worry that some conventional ways of gardening may do more harm than good to the environment? Hello, I'm Lucy, and I'm exploring how gardening sustainably enables us all to make a positive difference in tackling the effects of climate change. Joining us today as our guide is Arit Anderson, garden designer and presenter of Gardener's World, who's been passionate about championing sustainability in gardening since creating her pioneering show garden that highlighted these issues back in 2016. From nourishing our soil to creating compost, conserving water, to choosing the right plants. Arit believes that gardening and good garden design benefits our environment and that just a few small steps by all of us could bring positive change. So I started by asking her, what is sustainable gardening? Well, it feels so overwhelming and it feels like it's a phrase that's used so much at the moment, but I kind of feel in some ways to kind of simplify it. Sustainable gardening is about trying to make sure that you're not using resources um, or materials that you use now that might take from future generations. That's one aspect of it. And another way to think about it simplistically is to do no harm, to, to make sure that the materials, the plants, anything that you're bringing into your garden in the long term isn't harming any of the uh, natural uh, ecosystem that sits within your garden. So that's a really big concept kind of brought down to sort of really couple of lovely kind of bite-sized ideas to think about. I mean, sustainable gardening can be confusing for people, but I mean, I, li- I like to think about just the word at the heart of it, sustain. It, it kind of means nourish. And, that, and that's sort of what you've been saying about not taking away from future generations and, and in fact, maybe building towards that. No, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, the the whole thing about sustainability, it means that we should be able to be using um, things in our garden that that naturally would be able to replenish themselves in the life cycle of a generation. So, I mean, you know, um, you know, we've talked about pea and we know about water and all these other different things and oil. I know we don't, you know, oil, even when people are using petrol mowers and blowers, you know, that's a resource where that those are they take thousands of years to kind of produce those natural um, those natural things that we just can use in a in a beat of a heartbeat. So I think it's just kind of getting in tune with the fact that am I doing something within my own space, my own garden that 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 has come from a resource that I will never ever know whether it's been replenishable or not, or that it's caused damage in the wider environment to get to me to have a convenient moment in my garden. Look, take us back. Take us back to how you first got inspired by this, this notion of sustainable gardening. What, what, what kicked it off for you? 
Well, it's funny because, you know, I wouldn't, well, I'm not definitely not come from a you know, major gardening family and have not been around a, a lovely granny that's shown me things, but I've always enjoyed um, the natural environment. I was brought up in the green belt, if you like, of, of Hertfordshire. So I've always had sort of greener space to go out into. And so I've come into gardening uh, later in life, as most people know. And, you know, I remember speaking to the wonderful John Brooks and he was like, you know, what is it? What is it, girl? What is it that, that really gets you going? And and at that point, it was, you know, things uh, I loved adapt plants that had great adaptation, like Mediterranean plants that sit there baked in the sun within an inch of their life. And then they spring back. So I was beginning to get really interested in how plants kind of adapt and change and all their different uh, little traits um, that they have. And so um, so that was one thing. But really, I guess the turning point was doing a show garden in 2016. And that was uh, focusing on, you know, renewable energies and, and that our gardens of the future may not be as they are now and that we would need to use renewable energy now and stop basically draining oil um, out of our um, poor world um, as, a, as a result of that supplies us with, yes, fuel, but also plastic and all of those things. So really, I guess it was the show garden where I really kind of felt, you know, this is a this is a, an area that is really, really key. And, and I guess even only in 2016, which is what, only five years ago, we wasn't using this terminology in in the in our everyday language that we're using now. So yeah, quite key. I think it's really interesting, isn't it, that the last year or so, because we've been so close to our gardens, so many of us have really perhaps um, started to identify climate change as something that we can influence through our gardens, or at least you know see some issues around climate change just in our own back garden. So. I get the sense that there's more and more interest in this than there's ever been. And I think a, a, a lot of that is, you know, a result of lockdown and the, a result of us just being a little bit closer to nature than we've been before. Oh, 100%, 100%. I mean, you know, the the, the lovely uh, Sir David Attenborough, um, you know, I was happened to be a, a talk that he was at and he really summed it up that if we want people to care about the world, for those of us that have a garden, it starts in our back garden, quite frankly. And that, that, like you say, because we had our world shut down to us, we couldn't go off and fly to sunny climes or, or any of that, that our world shrunk to our back garden. And therefore, all of a sudden, we realised that this little microcosm between our, our gates and our fences was something that we could be a part of and that we could actually influence. Um, and that's been massively important um, over this past year. And I think that's not going to go away. I think it's, it, it started something that's just not going to stop. Absolutely. Gardens are not just for pandemics. You know, they, they are so important to us. And people have, I think, have realised that, that coming in, you know, um, OK, coming in from a day's work. Sometimes, yeah, I remember get the, one of the reasons when I got my garden, my the garden that I have now, and uh, and I just thought I was I was working in a different industry at the time. Oh, I know, I'll, I'll come home with a glass of wine and our dead head and somebody else will hopefully do the gardening. And that was never going to be the case because as soon as obviously I got the garden, I got just so obsessed like so many of us do. Um, and I think that people realise that 
within their garden there's so many different things that you can do that you're 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 not going to fail it's it, the garden's not there to trip us up it's there to teach us to nourish us you talked about nurturing earlier uh, earlier on and the joy it gives us from not only what we visually see maybe from what we taste if we grow our own from what we smell and also that unknown that unknown can't put our finger on it that healing feeling of just being good and feeling safe it's a safe haven. So we got the big idea there. So listen, why don't we plunge into the garden itself? Let's let's take us into the take us into our gardens and let's take us through what sustainable gardening means in practical terms. Let's start by talking about plastics. Yeah, plastics. Well, again, this is something that is is what we have to remember. It's it's pretty recent. I mean, you know, you uh, wanted to grow plants, sort of anything, sort of fifties and, and beforehand. You know. It would be using terracotta pots and growing things from cuttings. You know, we didn't have these lovely instant two litre, five litre plants that we can go around our nurseries and buy now. And plastic, you know, um, I know why people use it. You know, it's light. It's it's cheap in terms of in its manufacturer. It, if it's black, it helps to keep the the, the roots really um, nice and dark, which is what they want. But obviously, um, it's very easy to start quickly accumulating a lot of plastic in our gardens. We go to the garden centre. We want to feel good. We go to the pollinator section. You know, we, we're thinking about our biodiversity, and we take our plant home and we pop our plant in the in the ground, and we're left with a piece of material that's going to be around for probably another thousand years in real terms so there is a big issue about it and you know I think us as gardeners and myself included you know I'm not going to sit here and pretend that you know I've grown every single thing in my garden from seed I really wish that I had been able to but before I was like oh I don't really know what to do with all of these plastic pots and now what it's done in 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 these later years of, of understanding just the damage that it causes is that I I don't have to buy every single plant I can buy from seed I can get cut things and I can reuse that plastic that's one of the really key things is to reuse what you've got rather than go out and buy more mm. I think I've, I've seen you say um, you know we should be very considered in the way that we actually buy our plants and, and, I, and I guess it's just really you know talk us through that that idea yeah well it, it, it reiterates the fact that you know look when we go out to the garden centre we kind of get like kids you know we get we see all the sweets the annuals and all, everything that's bouncing at us and all these flowers and lovely fragrances that are coming at us and we kind of buy loads and loads of plants and often we'll get back home and yes we might get them in the ground but then we, we don't see them for another season they're gone and often that is because we haven't really done our homework and worked out what is the right plant that we should be buying so we end up wasting it really and then we're left with that that plastic pot so you know, of course, I would never want to take the joy of buying plants away from anybody. It just means that we just have to give a little bit more consideration about what it is we want to purchase. Um, and, and and maybe as well being a bit more confident to buy smaller as well, to buy a smaller plant in a smaller pot and watch that grow on. Um, you know, we're kind of we're a bit fixated about instant. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yet those big plants have very often had a lot of resource put into them in order to make them big and, and keep them big. So yeah. Yeah, I guess you're looking at resources and, and how long it's been sitting on, you know, uh, a forecourt or, uh, or, you know, or in a nursery bed. Yeah. Uh, and uh, No, definitely. There's a, there's a, definitely. But you're right, I mean, there's a lot of pleasure in growing something from, from small and from, from a small size. And of course, it's easier on the pocket as well. 
Well, it's much easier on the pocket and, and also as well that, you know, um, smaller plants, especially if you're putting them straight into your borders, once they get to a, a certain size, maybe like a 9cm type size and they're ready to go into the border, it kind of means that when they're smaller, their root system's smaller, that they can actually start to get um, more in tune with the environment. So the roots start to kind of get to really take in the nutrients that are in your soil, the microbiology, which also is really key, the water levels that are there. So the longer you leave your plants in contained pots before you put them in, they're in this very false environment that's been fed with fertilizers and gets watered all the time. But when they're in the ground, it makes them more resilient. And that's what we're looking for in plants. We're looking to make sure that they are very resilient, um, sentient beings. And we need to make sure that that resilience um, stays and buying smaller is part of that process. It's absolutely the case with trees, isn't it? You know, never absolutely. plant anything bigger than, big, taller than you. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, you know, obviously there are instances and there are gardens that, that do that. And, and, you know, as you said, whether it's been grown in your garden or, or grown in a, a nursery, but you know, if, if if budget is is difficult and budget is one thing, there's always the cost, the cash cost, but there's also time. You've got to marry that up with time because what you save in your pocket by buying smaller, what you gain in time is watching that plant or that tree come into fruition of its own. And you've been part of that process rather than sometimes the instant garden that can appear that can be very like da-da big reveal and it's almost like oh where does that come from so you know in the garden definitely make sure that there's a nice balance of of, of having things that you've been able to grow if you can grow your own or, or buy smaller and enjoy that process of it growing up well, that's right and and that whole process of gardening not just the end result has been shown to be so important to us actually in our well-being it's, it's actually being a part of the process and enjoying the activity of gardening that's as good for us isn't it you know in terms of our definitely you know, in terms of how we're feeling our mood or you know call it mindfulness or or, or well-being or wellness that that that's a really big um, big benefit of but um i wanted to talk about peat because obviously this year you know you've been really exploring last year and this year you've been exploring uh the issues around peat and it's really come to the fore lately as as certainly in the uk we're looking at how do we phase out peat from horticulture so so talk to us about what a sustainable garden you know how that relates to to peat and what's 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 happening about peat i think what's been interesting um since uh going through you know going through the, with the gw team you know the research and and then the program which is now out there and and hearing feedback from viewers as well a lot of people didn't really connect to the fact that peatlands are actually their own ecosystem and the fact that it is a huge carbon store it is the planet's natural carbon storage i.e. it keeps carbon in the ground as opposed to being up in the atmosphere where we've got the issue um, which creates a greenhouse gas effect. So I think that was one of the key things when we did the first um, piece on it, was to really give people the context of what a peatland is. So in, in the, so there is the carbon side of it, the carbon issue, the carbon being that it, it sucks carbon out of the atmosphere and keeps it in the ground, um, but also that it is a actual ecosystem of itself. That, that it, it's, it's quite interesting that if you look at... Um, peatland none of our or most most i would just say if not hardly any of our garden plants would survive in a true peat environment peatland environment okay it's too wet 
Um, there's not enough nutrients. It's quite anaerobic. It's quite a kind of harsh environment in some ways. But it's because people are attracted to it because it has um, the peat has this um, inert um, um, quality to it, i.e. that it, it holds water and that it when you add certain nutrients to it, it means that when you use it as a medium in our garden plants, it's great because it, it can keep plants uh, going until they get into the ground, if you like. So um, I think what was really interesting was that people didn't realise that we we are quite literally destroying a habitat. It, it, it's it's like it's the same situation as the rainforest. You know, we, we are literally scraping out this uh, this this substance, this this natural product that takes. It takes a thousand years, Lucy, to to lay down one meter of peat, and whichever way you look at it, that is not sustainable. We're not around for a thousand years, you know. Um, even if five generations isn't around for a, a thousand years, and and we we taken it out at a rate that is quicker than what it can be replenished, and that that's the question in that we're asking people to to think about. You know, we 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 have to. People need to have an informed choice and once you know something you can't unknow it but whether you make a choice as to crack on and carry on with peat or whether you kind of say i want to reduce the peat i use or not use any peat that's that really is down to us as gardeners to make um, a choice about and it's been relatively difficult um until just the last few years to find uh, a wide selection of peat-free compost but that that is changing now so people have got options yes so that is changing and and i do know that people were very um concerned in terms of when this transition and it's it's been going it's been on the go for quite some time the peat debate a lot of this has come about whereby it's convenient for us the amount of plant material that we're now obsessed with which is great um you know you've got to say to yourself would you be prepared to take a less plump plant and and live with it a little bit longer to nurture it on and to get it into um into the ground and almost in a way you know lockdown last year when we couldn't get hold of compost easily did introduce lots of people to the idea of kind of make do with what you've got uh, and reuse um compost from pots and also use your garden soil and i think in a way we've come become attuned to growing things in a medium that comes from a bag rather than looking at our gardens and thinking, well, actually, Absolutely. the gardens are source yeah. as well. So, this weekend, for example, we've uh, we're out in the garden. We've got containerized potatoes. We haven't got huge amounts of space, and you know, when you want to put the little second layer of uh, uh, compost in there, soil in there, just to for the for the extra growth. And yeah, we were robbing out of the other containers, which I'd had for bulbs, um, et cetera, and just enriching them a little bit. Again, um, putting a bit of biochar in and a tiny little bit of organic fertiliser. And that's fine. I think we have to remember that that soil and compost, they they it's more than just the nutrient giving. It, it's a it, it's there to also hold roots and to to actually be a support for the plants. And that's, I guess, really uh, fundamental to the sustainable garden is this notion of conserving, using and, and then reusing what you have, you know, whether it's through composting, you know, saving seeds, taking cuttings. And obviously, in this instance, using a, a resource that, you know, that we've used maybe last year and it's still there and available for us. So so this whole notion, let's let's sort of kind of talk about, well, you know, how we reuse some things, what, what else we could be doing to use and reuse uh, what we've got in our gardens. 
every piece of plant material that's in our garden is a way of being compost for us so you know it's like sweeping up the leaves I know that you know leaf mold is the new gold you know it is well it's the old gold it's always been like gold sweeping up your leaves taking your cuttings you don't have to have a great big compost bin sometimes even just being able to put some things down in a in a bag aerate the bag let it break down a little bit and then be able to put that back onto your borders it, it's free and and it's come from your plants feeding the next plants. At the heart of a lot of this is time and getting a better relationship to time, having the time to do the research, taking a bit more time to go out and see whether you can maybe go and get your peat-free compost from someone else, taking a bit more time to experiment on composting, have a go at um, doing the cuttings. Time is, is, is such an interesting idea that like we're giving ourselves more time with our gardens and enjoying it. And I think through that, I know you've talked about observation as well yeah. and just being alert and aware, um, which I guess is, brings us on to the next issue, which a lot of people say, OK, it's all very well to sort of, you know, take your own cuttings, raise your own seeds and so on and so on. But what happens when the pests and diseases kick in? What's the sustainable way of keeping a healthy garden? I mean, a healthy garden... Um, in its truest form, is one where you let the natural cycle of um, predation come through, the the natural biology um, to to be able to to work its way through the garden. Um, And and I think it's a case of, you know, of course, even in wider environments, you know, we do get um, diseases um, that can kind of be prevalent. But if you think about some of our big diseases that are going on at the moment, like ash dieback or oak processionary moth, they are things that have come in to our environment from elsewhere in the world, where elsewhere in the world, their, their natural system can cope. So we have to remember that our gardens is a controlled environment. Okay, so we are um, tweaking um, how we're putting plants together and, you know, and, 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 and manipulating um, 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 the space for ourselves, which is, which is great. That's the joy of it. But one of the things that we can sometimes forget is to allow our plants to become more resilient. You know, I'm, what's, I'm a, sometimes I think I'm a bit, bit mean, if you like, with some of the plants. Now, at the minute, um, I am waiting to kind of do some work on my garden. So maybe rightly or wrongly, I've had that luxury of just going, oh, well, go on, roses. You enjoy yourselves. I'm not going to cut you back. Just do what you want to because I might move you in a couple of uh, seasons time, whatever. But what what's happened in that process of letting things go, inverted commas, what I mean by that is that I've not been on top of everything all the time, spraying, cleaning, pinching out in terms of, you know, taking off every single last bug. So I'll give you a great example. So um, last summer, uh, you know, as we just went into lockdown, it was sort of early on. And I go out in the garden and I'm like, hey, Harvey, um, come and have a look. It's my stepson. And, and the Daphne, Adora, which I've had in this garden pretty much since I've been here day one was just covered in aphids covered and to the point where it was actually starting to defoliate the plant it it just kind of felt like it come from nowhere and I was like oh how on earth could I have missed seeing this this amount of aphids anyway so 
we started off with a little bit of just getting he to give him some fun because you know after he's done his uh his work his school work he'd get his little water spray out and he was spraying them off because you know just and picking them off and getting involved that way but they were clearly an issue but then over the course of the next couple of weeks in come the sparrows and the sparrows got involved and I kept seeing them in the rosebush, which is next near, near to the Daphne. And before you know it, they'd cleaned up. And, you know, and that's what I mean in terms of patience, observation and allowing nature to come in and to therefore feed those um, those sparrows. Feeding the birds a little bit less meant they had to go and have a look else what else was going on in the garden. So we did, we do like to feed the birds, but I was just saying just, ah, just a couple of handfuls less because we need them aphids sorted out. <laughs> so that, and that's really about having the confidence to know it's going to happen. And it does happen. It does. <laughs> you know, you've yeah. had the living example of it. Yeah. And it take it take it can take time. I think I think a lot of the time we're impatient, you know, um, and so we kind of feel that, oh well if you know, if we spray everything um then that will kind of you know that gets rid of one problem but what it does is it creates an imbalance elsewhere within the garden um and and that's the thing that we've got to kind of allow and this is part of the wider issue with the sort of bugs that we're losing you know we've got a massive extinction issue with um insect life on this planet I mean, which we 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 might be squeamish about um, um, a, a spider or, you know, we might not like the way that slugs and snails um, are in our garden, but they they all have a place um, in, in, in the order of life. So um, I think it'd be really helpful if we can just sort of get a bit more in tune um, with that and, and put the bug spray down and observe a little bit more. And if you do get little issues, you know, what's the other natural alternative that I can use? So, if, for example, that aphids, those aphids had gotten really way out of control, I was nearly on the uh, precipice of having to kind of buy in some ladybirds because we found one ladybird in the garden. And of course, if I'd have been spraying, I'd have killed that as well. Mm. I'd have killed the predators as well as the the what, what what's being called as a nuisance. So yeah, so biocontrols are a new, relatively recent sort of friend to to the to the home gardener, but um, such a successful one and uh, and kind of easy to get hold of and so on, even easier than ever. So, and there's companion planting that you can do to attract, you know, to both repel things you maybe don't want and also to attract in. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, I just think of it like this, Lucy. You know, we're providing dinner. At the end of the day, whatever you way you look at it, you've just put out a gourmet meal, your hostas and, you know, the roses and all of these things. And then we're kind of saying nobody, nobody can come into the party. You know, that's like you or I having this gorgeous sort of like banquet of food. And then somebody saying, stop, don't eat. That's just not going to happen. You're going to get tucked in. So, you know, we have to think about how do we make sure that there's a balance. And, and maybe there are a few sacrificial hostas, you know. Um, that will save save another plant like the companion planting that you you were talking about and you know your garden you want it to look good but it doesn't have to be a show garden it looks natural if there's a few bites out of those leaves because it means that you've got your friends have come for dinner and that's fine and and there's another little phrase that I like to think about especially when I'm talking to clients you know I know that you're the paying client, but there are many clients coming through this garden that we have to think about. And they're like, oh, and I'm like, yes. So, so you know, 
think of it as uh, you're, you're sharing that garden. You're a custodian. You've got other people in, or other people, sorry, other, other beings uh, that need to come through as well. That's a great thought. That really is a great thought. But And you sort of lead us naturally on to, um, obviously, you're, with your professional hat on, what does it mean that we need to think about in design terms? Well, I think for me, I mean, I think there's a lot about, you know, one of the key principles about gar- uh, garden design is simplicity in design. It's one of one of sort of seven principles and simplicity is one of them. And and I think that when I was at college, that simplicity was about, you know, not over designing and putting loads of different layers and levels and showing off with what you can do. But But I think the simplicity isn't just about that, that the simplicity comes back to the basics, and and the basics of that space and and that means that we 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 as designers and landscape architects that we have to be a lot more in tune with the with the base unit and the base unit is the soil and the land itself what have we got what is in front of us what does this want to be a very dear uh, friend of mine and colleague uh, marion boswell she, she, i love the term she always uses which is what would this land want to be if I wasn't here? Would it would it be would it want water on it? You know, would it want to be a woodland? You know, really getting a sense of the space. And and I think the soil is something really what I'm learning more and more and more every single day. The importance of our soil that it's it's a living organism in itself. It's not just a bit of dirt that kind of gets our feet dirty or gets traipsed in the house you know it actually holds all life and without that soil we wouldn't be here so that's something that I'm you know uh, very conscious of and trying now as best I can obviously I I have to work with a client need as well I'm not going to deny that but really thinking about how much of that soil can I turn over to um, soft, soft landscape for example um how much of that how much how much more plant material can be brought into a space because design isn't just about the patio and the fences and the, the outdoor kitchen you know the, the you, you the design sorry is very much obviously the plants they're they're the heroes in the in any garden and um as a designer the classic thing to be asked would be i want this i want that I want year-round colour, and I want it to look amazing, and I and and I also want it to be low maintenance. And that was already a tussle. It's like you can't have all those things and then decide that you never want a garden in your garden. You know that's really difficult. Every garden needs levels of um, care and development are my key words. I don't like to use the word maintain maintenance. It makes it feel very static. You might maintain a fence, but you certainly don't maintain plants. You want to develop them and grow with them. Um, So I, I think that that people now are fit realizing and understanding the joy, the benefit that the plant material comes um, it brings to the garden. Sorry, and that actually there was a time when, yes, of course, you know, using very dominant patio sizes and the new porcelain that came in because porcelain was the wonder material that you just wash it down and it just never ever stains etc etc and that was almost a way of statementing look at my garden look at how maybe how much money I've got or how much design prowess prowess I can't say the word um that I've got 
Whereas I think now people expect and want to see a lot more, as we use the term a lot, much more naturalistic and much more softer feeling. So that doesn't mean to say it hasn't got to be designed. It doesn't mean to say that your border still can't be mixed um, with with some um, amazing exotics and, and non-natives. I'll come back on to that one. But um, but but certainly um, that the, the, the plants, the, the, the greenery is really, I think, becoming more and more key um, in people's gardens. Yeah. Yeah, and, 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 and I guess it's also made us aware, I think, um, and I know you're passionate about the role for trees in a garden. Yes, yes, trees. I mean, I'm looking at my garden as I'm talking to you. I'm looking out the window, Lucy, and I when I first arrived and I was um, pretty new to gardening, I'd say proper new to gardening, and I remember there's this big eucalyptus at the end of the garden, and I only have a small garden. It's only about, and it's longest, about 15 metres really long and four and a half, five metres wide. So it's a small town garden, and there's this ginormous um, eucalyptus there. And at the time I thought, oh, God, that's big. And, you know, even then I knew that was not quite the right plant um, in the right place. I've left the tree and it's had to be crowned and thinned. But very interestingly, when I had somebody round a couple of weeks ago to start to thin out this tree because it had gotten a bit wayward as eucalyptus does, all the neighbours around the outside, they thought I was having it brought down. I had some guy come round, all oh, knocking on the door, you taking that tree down. And my other neighbour, oh, no, Harry, I don't want you to take that limb off. And all of a sudden you realise that tree doesn't, it's just because it's physically in my garden, it serves a purpose to all the other houses around it. It's screened, birds come and sit in it, you know, offers shade as well. So that tree all of a sudden has got a multi-purpose. Um, and I think that people are nervous about trees. They worry about roots is a classic one. You know, are there going to be roots that are going to come and up, you know, upturn my patio and, um, and, and my house? And again, Get some expert advice on that if you're really worried. It's about the choice of tree that you would have and how close that you plant it near to your house. Trees in your garden are just wonderful. And what it does is it creates its own um, uh, microclimate. So when we have those really hot days, the shading that we get and the coolness, because obviously in the breeze, you get extra breeze from those leaves as well. The birds love it. We have got the most amount of trees in our garden on my run because I live on a on a terrace. And I watch the birds go from the eucalyptus down to the pittosporum. They hit the acer. They then come down into the shrub layer and then they come into the little covered way. And these those trees in your in the garden are not just visually great for me. They actually are acting as food, shelter, um, shade cooling you name it it's got the multifunctional trees have got a multifunctional service that they can give us um in our garden so yes as you can probably tell i'm very very passionate about trees being in 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 people's gardens do you think every garden's got room for a tree oh i think so there's a tree you know there's a tree out there or or large shrub whichever you, you want to call it that's out there for everybody because um you know, certainly like in a south facing garden, you know, the best thing that you're ever going to bring into a garden for when it's relentless heat, you know, south facing feels fabulous. But you sometimes just need to get out of that sun. And, you know, and you can go and walk under a tree and almost get you know, nearly 10 degree, 10 centigrade um, degree difference in temperature within within a space. Um, and, and I think what we have to remember is this, you know, our population is growing 
we have an urban sprawl. We are sprawling into our countryside and therefore we are pushing nature further and further out to a boundary. You know, people may have heard about urban forests trying to bring a lot more tree material into our urban cities because not only is it good for wildlife, it is good for us. And that's really important. Mm. Well, now I wanted to talk about um, the choice of plants as well. Right plant, right place is obviously something that, you know, a sort of mantra that um, that everyone talks about. But but talk us through the choice of plants, because in a sustainable garden, you know, and I think you touched on it earlier, uh, the notion of, of, of exotics. Is there a place for that? Um, should we be just thinking about native plants? You know, what is the garden of the future sort of, you know, well, the next certainly, you know, 10, 20, next generation or two? What does it look like? You know, what because... Uh, are we going back on all of that kind of Victorian plant hunting, try something new? Should we be rethinking the future of plant choices? Well, it's really interesting that you bring this up because, you know, at science level, this debate goes on and on, you know, in terms of whether or not there's space for exotics, i.e. those plants that don't necessarily live in our um, natural um, uh, environment. Um, and it's a debate that I am, I'm, I'm always really keen to listen to because you learn so much from it, really. Um, but again, let's keep it simple because there is a huge science about um, whether people believe it in it or not. But by, by, by keeping it simple, our borders, we are trying to ensure that we are providing shelter, food, um, and um, as much kind of carbon capture into our borders as as we can. And um, and some of that um, wouldn't necessarily just come from our natives. Obviously, over time now within the UK, because of the amount of land that we've given over to agriculture, because, as you say, those Victorians have been around bringing plants into our gardens that actually there's probably a lot of plants in there that we think are native and actually have come from a very far-flung place but we're so used to seeing them within our within our gardens that 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 really that those mixed borders um can be quite rich in terms of how they can feed the wildlife in our country now i know that on the gardens world uh magazine website i mean i know that you're very good at putting an indication as to whether or not a plant um, does provide for wildlife or I know you also mm. indicate whether it's toxic and all of that type of thing. Go out into your garden and do an audit. Have I chosen everything, for example, to be so evergreen, doesn't produce any flower or anything at all that can help our, um, our own wildlife? Um, and what value does that give? Of course, it might mean, well, I've only got to go out there once or twice a year to, to trim everything. But we've got to think about the other values that those plants um, bring to the party, quite frankly. Um, and it could even be even, you know, the basics, you know, our own for us have a fruit tree. Going back to the tree thing, you know, things that can provide us with us with fruits, let alone, you know, the birds and, and all the pollinators and all the other insects. So. I think that really it's a it's a debate that people should be listening to. There are I can I can hear different voices shouting at me as I'm talking. Go no, Ari, it's you know you know it's about the natives, and I definitely know that there are very eminent people that I respect that that actually encourage that we have a, a species rich um, border as long as it's rich and it's diverse. Mm. It's when it becomes very monocultured that it becomes much more narrow and difficult to. Um, feed the garden if you know what I mean 
Yeah. And if you take it back to what's truly native, if we can ever get back to that stage, uh, you know, UK plant, native plant um, life, as it were, is is relatively limited. And actually, we can bring all sorts of things in. I know the RHS have done trials and shown that, you know, wildlife can't necessarily always read that label. No. Uh, and they'll go <laughs> happily to those lovely open plants that, that you know, that's got great for pollen or, or, or whatever. So, yeah. yeah, I think that's really the sort of key to it, isn't it? It is, it's, it's yeah. Diversity and so much. And I think the one thing before, before we sort of wrap up, one, one thing we um, haven't yet talked about is water. How, how as a designer do you do you sort of look at a, a, a garden and think how do I bring more water in whether it's for ornamental decorative conservation uh, storage if we think about water and try to think about the conservation of water and try to think about water as a very precious commodity which is what it is because I think that because we're we're very lucky in the west and certainly in the UK we turn on a tap and we expect water to come out of it and we get very upset in those drought moments when we can't. Water is something um, that we all have the opportunity to really treat as something a lot more precious than what we do. Um, we're very lucky in the UK in particular. We can turn on a tap and we have water, you know, just there. It just always feels like it's always there. Even the fact that this seat, this year alone, you know, the first couple of months, we haven't had any rain. It was cold it was really cold but there was no rain so immediately you know they were kind of that's headed into sort of drought conditions and then what's happening in the world because of climate change we'll then get a deluge of water and we can't actually then cope with it our systems don't cope with it a lot gets lost in the drains where people are paving over a lot more surfaces it's just water runoff so I think within a sustainable garden, if you can capture your own water, using water butts would be great. Um, if you're really inclined, you know, um, rain gardens, um, create a rain garden so that every aspect of water actually feeds back into the actual garden itself. But um, and making sure that in those hot periods, you know, have you mulched everything as best you can and put a mulch layer on that stops water evaporating. When to use water? Um, often um people sort of say you know when's the best time and and i spoke to janet manning and she is a a water expert and she's passionate about um water clearly and for her it's in the morning because i was really upset when she said that to me because i was like well i really enjoy i enjoyed being able to water with my gin and tonic or a glass of wine in the evening (laughs) didn't feel quite as appealing with a cup of tea in the morning um so watering in the morning is is good but obviously if you can't then again wait for the sun to go down don't waste it by just spraying the whole plant really think about where you're aiming that water to soak the root ball and you're better off to plant uh, to water um plants soak them every every couple of days rather than a little bit all the time because otherwise the plant just puts up roots that just want to sit at the top of the plant and they don't really put their roots down Um, and just to kind of think about this that Watering our gardens for an hour, you know, really got that hose on. You know, that can be um, the same amount of water of a family of four uses in a day. So that's quite a lot of water. So we've really got to think about how we can minimise the water and capture as much as we can in the rain and think about plants that um, are either adapted for more drought area if you live in a drier part of the country or use boggy plants um, to take up water if you sometimes unfortunately sit in a part of the country that has a lot of water. If we all just took one step to get started on this, what do you think it should be? If I was being really honest, 
it's to take more time because time is behind everything that we do in terms of running a sustainable garden, having the time to grow plants from seed, grow our own plants, for example, having the time to make compost, if we can make compost, having the time to water carefully, should we need to water, our choice of plants, taking our time at the garden centre, making sure that we've chosen the right plants, taking the time to do the research. Because if we can take time to do those things, then the choices that we make in our garden will make a difference. Um, And I think that's the thing, it's getting a better relationship with time because often convenience is what is quite literally costing us the earth. Thanks for listening to the BBC Gardener's World magazine podcast. And for more gardening tips and inspiration, why not try our new magazine subscription offer for podcast listeners at buysubscriptions.com forward slash GWpod. You'll also find our special offer in the podcast pages on gardenersworld.com, where we also share more about today's themes. So if you've enjoyed this episode, please tell others about it and rate us in your podcast provider app. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>